Welcome to New Type Flash. This is a podcast where every other week we come to you with Gundam Universal Century in a more or less chronological order. This week we are coming to you with our final episode in our series about Zeta. Uh, we're going to summarize a little bit about the end of the third movie and the movies in general. And then uh, we're going to shift to talking about just our thoughts on the series, uh, what we're looking forward to, and all of that fun stuff that we do at the end of a lot of these longer series. Um, with that, we have Scotty P. Look forward to when this episode goes up where we will have a limited time offer where you can buy an NFT that will be a fan art of Cots taking a dump. And Luke? Did we did we get someone to draw that? I'm sure Am we draw could. Who's drawing sure, that? I'm sure we could. <laughs> With or without boner, depending on the artist and what kind of commissions <laughs> they take. I was just going to say, I, uh, I feel for, like... an extra, for an extra hundred, uh, uh, it'll be God's getting shit on. Um, all right. Uh, the third movie. It's a thing. Um... You want to start with this, Gotti? Yeah. So really, I think what we want to mostly cover in the third movie is the stuff that is new or modified. There are, as opposed to the first couple of movies where there are just, I really think mostly of the first movie where there's a scene that's kind of brand new taking yeah. place of another one. But they are mostly cut up things because they are covering 32 episodes of content. Um, this Mo one is movie one has like a scene movie two has a few scenes and then movie three is a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Because the actual episodes this covers are to just to keep it simple. It's 33, 34, 39, 44, 45, 46, 47, 49 and 50. Um, there uh, episodes uh, 40 and 43 have exactly one scene from them put into the movies. So I didn't put those in that list. And then there is one event from 48 that is changed and inserted elsewhere. So the gist of it is it's those nine episodes crammed down into roughly uh, how long is it? Hour and a half. Hour and a half. Yep. But it's surprisingly easy to like follow and watch. I think of all the Zeta movies, it might be the easiest one to just follow along with. Yeah. I feel like I, I think I'd mentioned before I watched the first two movies said, what the fuck and stopped watching. I think I stopped watching about halfway through the second movie uh, on, on this retrospective rewatch, like the third movie actually was really good. Mm -hmm. It was good. If you don't want to acknowledge that stuff came after it, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You've got to basically just file this one away as there are things at the end that don't happen in the timeline, because if they do, it makes things very, very hard to reconcile. Well, it kind of reminded me of uh, I think we talked about the, the 0079 novelization and how different that was at the end. It was dramatic. It was like, OK, well, the series is over now. And I think that was like what that was the expectation was, which. I thought it was really strange because I think when they came through and did Zeta the series, they knew double Zeta was happening. Yeah, Maybe but that's not I mean, at first. There's an argument that it's called Zeta because Tomino said, okay, I'll come back for a sequel, but this is it. Mm. And then at some point during it, that changed. Double Zeta. Really the 
But wouldn't you think that that would make Zeta the movies the retcon establishing more stuff could happen versus the series, which is not the retcon? Like no, the movie nah. retcons it and makes no, it's it a so cash that nothing grab. No, it's a cash grab. I mean, this this came out when I was in Japan, roughly. Um, and it was one of those things where, like, they had entire, like, blocks of, like, the movie theater, like, just, like, painted with Zeta. It it was a cash grab. They were selling more and more Gunpla. They were pimping the newly reanimated stuff. And I'm sure there was, like, another series that was getting ready to come out around the same time. <laughs> it would have been right after Destiny, which was an homage to Zeta. Uh, this... I think a lot of the timing would have been in between destiny and double O. So it was something to keep Gundam out there while they were presumably working on double O. Uh, it was for anniversary. You mentioned Gunpla. Uh, like my master grade Zeta is from the, it's the HD colors version, which was the one that got was like the special re-release of the master grade 2.0 for these movies. Same thing with my Mark two. So yeah, cash grab. Yeah. I mean, maybe they also just needed to get the voice actors back in a room together for like prepping for some of the unicorn stuff. I don't know. (laughs) Anyway, um, we can dive into this third movie here. And again, I only want to go over the stuff that is like actually new or modified. So we're going to be jumping. kind of right at the start this movie starts with it with musa being detached and then you get a completely new scene which is haman and um, the axis officers discussing whether they should ram the gate of zedan or drop axis on granada completely new scene it's not in the show then we go through basically episode 33 almost exactly the same the nemo gets a cool new launch sequence that's about the only thing that's different um now there is when I say that's about the only thing that's different. There's new animation popped in so much in this movie that it's you would not want to listen to the show I mentioned every time. Like it, it would just get too boring. And, yeah, and, I would say yeah. like especially for large swaths of the movie, like it's new new animation, and then like they'll have a fight scene and they'll splice in original animation in the fight scene. Mm-hmm. And it's. Yep. Uh, maybe I'm not the only one that feels it. Maybe I'm the only one who feels this way, but uh, it was pretty jarring when it happened. It wasn't as bad as the first movie. Right. It seemed like they, it seemed like they blended it better compared to the first movie. It was yeah. still, like, speaking holistically as the like for the whole movie series, it was fairly jarring regularly, yeah. um, but it got better over time. I, I will say the Palace Athene looks way better and the reanimated stuff. You can tell what it looks like. It has definition and like, it just, it looks like a cool suit. Yeah, no, it really does. It really does. But that new animation, that film grain effect is, Annoying. does not, it does not translate to a television. Maybe it looked good in a theater. It doesn't on a TV or a you know, monitor. However, you're watching that phone. Uh, so after all of the stuff with uh, the Argma crew goes and they meet Mineva and then they have to escape and there's a battle and yada, yada. After all of that is another brand new scene. And it is Shirako meeting with Haman on the Guadan. 
and this time he is accompanied by Sarah, Yazan, Ramses, Dunkel, and other various officers. And it's kind of replacing a scene in 33, but, you know, there's some other things like when they leave. Uh, I think it's interesting that Sarah tries to bow to Haman on the way out, and she's the only one in that entourage that does that. And Yazan stops her like halfway through her bow and straightens her back out. And then is like, come on. He doesn't say <laughs> anything to her, but Yazan's basically like, we're not doing that. No, <laughs> what are you doing? Um, and then you got Haman kind of pondering in her head if she wants to contact Jamatov. And they have this, she looks over at Maneva, Maneva looks back at her, then Maneva looks at Shirako and then back at Haman and it's this sort of knowing look like you need to keep an eye on that guy. I'm on. And I thought that was an interesting thing. So then we go through a bunch of stuff. Um, the point where the Argama and Radish dock at the Livian Rose is all new and it's very pretty. Yeah. Um, yep. Uh, there's another new bit in there that it's Maneva watching the Zeta arrive with the white flag on a monitor. Um, and then a servant like cuts the feed out. It was just interesting scene. I don't know why they added it, but it was in there. Uh, episode 43, it's one scene that gets moved over is Haman visiting the Argama. When they're talking about stuff, there's a couple of differences here. One of them in a, like a character thing. Haman does not suggest that Shar remove his sunglasses or like intimidate him into it. She just says, you have bad etiquette when you're making requests. And then he does it himself. Hmm. Uh, and then the context of the negotiation is made a little bit differently. At the start, the Ayug is asking Haman to destroy both the Gate of Zedan and Grips 2. In the show, all they ask about is Grips 2. And then ultimately they all settle on the gate of Zedan. So there's all that. I did take a note. I don't know if I mentioned this during the show, but you know, Haman talks here in this scene about how if the AU can provide a distraction, she can end the war without having to use nukes. And I wrote down the Antarctic treaty would be trapped, would be proud for now. I mean, was Axis a member of the Antarctic treaty? I, I mean, I guess by proxy, maybe in their hearts. Because yeah. they're, you know, they they have that Zeon connection, so they've got yeah. Captain Zeon in their hearts, so they yeah. would have to, I think, you know. Oh, Captain Zeon. Yep. You get a new scene of Requa test piloting the Palace Athene, um, and then Shiraco's on the Jupitris telling Sarah to go out on the Balanok Simone to check on Haman because it's a job Requa can't do. But all that is done as a new scene, and it shows Requa actually testing that suit. Um, so now we're going to jump ahead a little bit. At the point where Haman attacks Jamatov at the gate of Zedan, I actually like this addition. They add a scene of Jamatov and Jared getting back out of his throne door thingy. And it almost looks like the thing's an elevator. Mm -hmm. Maybe it just wasn't panned out enough. Yeah. Um, but you then get to see Jared excuse me, Jamatov sending Jared out and telling him they don't know what Shiraco will do. And then you get another short scene after that that's completely new of Haman's shuttle just uh, like busting out of the gate of Zedan. And then the Axis fleet 
firing to cover for her and blowing up the dock she was at. So it, it kind of makes all of that flow instead of that scene just ending. And then everyone is in different places. It cleaned that up a bit, I thought, and helped it. Um, then you have in the midst of a lot of the rest of the stuff for what's in episode 44 goes the same way, but they add something in, which is a new scene because as I go through, it'll be clear pretty soon why they did this. Basque and Yazan are talking on the bridge of the Dogos gear. And this is basically Basque telling Yazan that he's allowed him to come back after Shirako returned the Dogos gear so that Yazan could protect Grips 2 during the construction of the colony laser. And he says, once there's completed, this is uh, Basque telling this to Yazan. Basque says, once we're done with this laser, there will be no chain of command because I will assume leadership of the Titans. This is not something in the show. Right. Or hinted at. Uh, Basque is completely loyal to Jamatov in the show. Yeah, I guess they, they wanted to just make him into... Yeah, because I mean, after Jamatov dies in, in the original show, like they're just kind of rudderless, and I guess they were trying to establish that rudder as opposed to just having uh, Sirocco kind of leading things. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it works for Basque's character. As we have discussed before, he's such a nice guy that, <laughs> you know. Yeah, the movies definitely um, give him a lot more screen time. Yep. Yep. Um, let's see. I had a new scene of Shirako and Requa, but I don't think it matters very much. We'll just move over it. There's another one that's during the stuff that's happening in episode 45. Um, and this is actually uh, a scene that I like. Now they do this to make things flow better because remember when Camille and Sarah are on like that little meteorite thing and he gets out of the normal suit and captures her and they just leave the suit there and she's back mm -hmm. in the Argama for a minute. They don't do all that shit, okay? When they're done on the meteorite, they've got, uh, and this is obviously a completely new scene because it doesn't happen in the show, uh, Sarah just gets on the ball in Oak Simone, and then she's hitting herself afterwards because she doesn't destroy the Zeta Gundam while it's still sitting there with nobody in it. And uh, they make this look really cool because they give that suit like this glowy like brain effect thing on its head as it's flying off here, it looks, it's, it's neat. It's sparkly and cool looking. Oh, I don't remember that. Mm -hmm. Yep. And then Camille also, they show him because he'd have to, uh, leaving that asteroid thing in the Zeta. And he even points out, he was surprised Sarah didn't shoot down the Zeta, but that he thinks she did that because she knows in her heart, it was the right thing to do. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's see. Moving on. When Apolli dies, Sarah <laughs> doesn't know what's best for anybody, even when she's dead. No. Yeah. Uh, when Apolli dies, they make it to where he is actively protecting Fa instead of just kind of sitting around like an idiot. <laughs> um, so I appreciated that. There's a new scene when they're fleeing the debris at the gate of Zedan with Camille telling Char about Requa and how he saw them. Some of the gossip is reworked with Fa and Emma afterwards, but mostly the same. So then we're jumping ahead now to um, when they're all on the Guadan. I think they're not quite at the Guanban yet, but this is the meeting between Jamatov, Haman, and Shirako that Kotz and Camille try to crash. And you get 
a new scene of Sarah actually feeling uneasy about cots that they put in there, which I think is, it adds to it because the equivalent point of the show, they just show Camille being detained more, which does nothing. And then during the actual meeting, they purposely show Shirako reaching for his gun. Like when Camille senses it, and then you see like Shirako reaching for his gun, which mm-hmm. they doesn't happen in the show. And then when Shirako kills Jamatov, all he says this time is you couldn't even charm a young woman. Uh, then when they escape, there's some difference in the blocking on how they do it. I highlighted it, but now that I'm looking at it, it's not important. Um, they all end up still escaping just with slightly different actions to get there. Then you have, after this, you've got Shirako's proclamation to the Titans fleet. And what happens here is that Vasque is hearing Shirako's broadcast while he's eating. He drops his fork and he gets mad. And he's like, no, I know it must have been Shirako. And then Yazan comes up to him and fist bumps Basque on the shoulder and goes, hey, this is what you wanted, right? So they're going more with, yeah. with that. It's just Basque is caught off guard. And there's a character here that doesn't get named, but Basque basically has like a bridge bunny that helps him out with stuff. <laughs> and it's like in this case, like bringing him food and things. And she seemed real nice. Like she's actually trying to help and uh, just ended up with the Titans somehow. So it must not actually be very nice. But anyway, <laughs> um, you get a green GM2 sighting. I forget what variant that is. But I mean, I think that's an important change. I put an exclamation point on it. <laughs> you know, the ones with like the green and yellow torso. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, those are cool. I think that aren't those from 0083? I think I, I didn't look at that. I have to look. That's one cool thing about these movies, though, is that in some of the like the wide shots of fleets and things, if you like pause them and start to look real close, they've added in these suits that were not like they didn't exist in the Gundam universe when Zeta was made. Does, they were added in later by like 0080, 0083, MS team, etc. So does that make uh, does that make these movies canon? No. <laughs> I, hey, there, there's there's canon as Thunderbolt is, right? Look. Whoa, whoa, whoa! <laughs> you I kid, I kid, I kid. You know, I uh, I think the canon stuff is kind of ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, look. There's only a few things at the end that if you just stick your head in the sand and pretend they didn't happen, the rest of it still works just fine. So yeah. um, anyway, now we got another new scene at this point where the radish it's, you get a little bit more radish and Hankin, not a lot more, but a little bit. So you get, do get a brand new scene about um, he wants to let the rest of the AU fleet know what's happened with uh, Shirako and all that, but the Minofsky particle density is too high and so Emma comes in, Hangan talks about how they need to take grips too. Let's go ahead and just do it. And then you have an, an interesting new Char scene. So this is him leaving that meeting that everyone was in. And he gets into the Heiakushiki, leaves the Guadan. He turns and pushes his sunglasses down. And this is while he's taking off turns pushes the sunglasses down so that his eyes are shown and he says what would you do Shar? 
Shark Clone. Weird, right? Really interesting. Yeah, that was a great thoughtful. <laughs> and and he's been on the Guadan for a while. Like, what the hell? It <laughs> it is never explained or touched on again. I it it's kind of there's there is no evidence that anything different is happening other than he it's just a scene of him being weird. But it gives some stuff to kind of chew on in your imagination. Yeah, I mean, Haman uh, kidnapped and murdered him while making a fully adult clone of him. My interpretation of it was more along the lines of he sees himself as not Char anymore. Char anymore. Like, I don't think that he's a clone necessarily or that it's implying that he's a clone. I think it's him. He doesn't see himself as Char anymore. He's, he's, a, he's a left that role, but he's kind of looking back to the mindset that he was in as Char. Yeah, and trying to think about how he would have handled it in that situation. I don't know. That's that was yeah. no, no. He's he's very clearly Quattro Bagina, man of multiple mysteries now. Yeah, and Luke, I think you nailed the actual like what they're going for. Definitely. Um, what you mean? My clone theory isn't right. And no, technically, none of them are are right, <laughs> except you know if we're talking about the failed one that gets the Sinandru Stein. <laughs> um, but but he sucks, and I don't even remember what his name is. Full frontal, yeah, full frontal. I think. No, no, the one from narrative. Oh, yeah. See, you forgot who he was. He's so terrible. I know who you're talking about, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> or whatever. I don't know. Yeah, awful villain. Worst part of that movie. Anyway, um, so then uh, the Q-Boy and the O do their battle thing. And you get here a new scene that is Yazan, Dunkel, and Ramses. They are uh, in their pilot suits. They're kind of plotting. Yazan says, hey, we're going to see how the battle goes. And then we're going to prepare a present for Shirako. Um, and he just tells them, hey, guys, it can't look like we started it. And that's all you get to know. But you can probably guess what how that's going to end. Uh, you do have, uh, I think I only put this down because sunglasses pompadour guy gets a new speaking line, (laughs) but you get a new radish bridge scene where he talks about how Axis isn't going to distinguish between the Ayug and the Titans. If the battle gets too crazy. So thank you. Sunglasses pompadour guy for helping contextualize the battle as it goes on, instead of dumping it in a line of dialogue 15 minutes before the battle and expecting me to remember it for several episodes. (laughs) What a a bro. (laughs) Um, so a little hey, bit they've of only got an hour and a half to work with. You got to, yep. Yep. A little bit of a difference when Fa is, uh, telling off Camille for pointing his beam rifle at Cots, uh, where all she says here was just, you're aware Cots was in love with her, right? Talking about Sarah, cause she had just been killed. And then that yeah, that's pretty much it. Not, not anything major. After this, you get a brand new scene of Haman talking about how they're going to use Grips 2 as a shield and fight both the Ayug and the Titans. Their goal is to draw in the Earth Federation. This is probably here because the movie skips the whole part where Axis briefly has control of Grips 2. That doesn't happen. They'd never have control of it at any point in this. Hmm. So now we're on to our, really like our episode 47 content. And as you uh, get in here, you've got um, 
Argama is approaching, you know, grips two and all that. And they're all out fighting. This is when like Char is out, like I'm going to, I'll go get the antenna and all that stuff happening. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Amon encounters Maneva in the hallway and talking about you know, the battle going on and whatnot. So during that battle, you cut back to the Dogo's gear. Basque is refusing his normal suit. His bridge money's trying to give it to him. She's still trying to be helpful. Uh, and then Yazan's team flies overhead and they take out the Dogo skier. Now, Yazan says, you have your own motivations, and so do I. Uh, so in this one, it's the Humbrabis that take out the Dogo skier instead of Rekua. And it's a betrayal. Yeah, and it doesn't make a ton of sense, but whatever. Yazan does what he does. It consider. I, I think the reason they move it is that that happens in episode 48, and they skip all that other stuff with Rosamia. Yeah, so they needed to move it somewhere, and just having Yazan go. Nope, I'm actually loyal to Shirako since he ends up being that way anyhow. You yeah, know, it makes it work. It gives you some more content with Basque and Yazan that you didn't have before. Whatever. Yeah, it's yeah. fine. It's look, Yazan is he's a dick, so it works. Yeah, I. They do a lot of things with these movies, and, and and part of the reason it's harder to follow, especially if you haven't seen the show, is because they they do things that are sometimes narratively convenient, but not necessarily like characteristically consistent. Yeah. Yep. So, all right. So the other things that you got happening here that are different, uh, the Zeta's long beam saber is actually made to look long. The show never does a very good job of this at this point you're basically like in final battle territory like already we're just jumping right to that and it kind of makes sense it's like this slow escalating fight uh, that never fair, i think i've heard this described as half of the movie is setting up the final battle and the other half is the final battle <laughs> that's a good way to put it this is really about an hour in but that battle kind of does start or at least it feels like it starts um like there's a little bit of downtime, at least it feels like in between like when Sarah dies in this, but it's really only like five minutes of screen time. So it almost feels like one continuous battle from the moment Jamatov gets killed. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and, and fog gives us a new scene to explain that. She says, there's a confusing battle going on at groups too. Um, <laughs> uh, how do you distill 50 battles into three movies while still maintaining the plot. <laughs> you have Fa say, look, it's confusing. Okay. <laughs> He's breaking the and fourth then, wall a little bit. Yep. And then everybody goes, uh, Fa, you're right about most everything. This is, I'll, I'll trust you. Okay. <laughs> uh, so now you have some other context given on some events that otherwise happen the same as in the show. So now we're into episode 49 territory and the stuff with Emma. So you get a, Scene where Bright's informed the Radish is in trouble. They've run into the Titans' vanguard. Bright sends Emma to help them. And then it shifts over to the Radish taking fire. You got uh, Emma meeting up with Cots. They talk about the battle going on. It's a new scene, but it's very short. And then that's when they encounter Yazan. All that stuff happens. Cots dies. Um, Radish sees Emma in danger. It's newly done up. And there's a slight dialogue change when they notice she's in danger where Henkin says, damned Argama, why did you leave Emma all alone? 
that's not in the show anywhere in the show. It's, Oh, let me go save her. (laughs) You know, we can't go save her. It's tactically disadvantageous here. It's more like, well, we need to go and help. Damn it. Argamo. This is like, he actually blames them for it. Yeah. Um, so then the rest of this kind of goes the like, you know, the same way Yazan, uh, Yazan blows up the radish, uh, Zeta and Jared arrive, Henkin on the bridge scene dying, Radish goes down, Camille kills Jared, all that stuff is exactly what we have gone through. So now we get this weird Tamino thing that starts to happen. So you have the point where like Shirako is holding his temples and watching the battle and all that. But then you have this brief new scene. He's asking the Titans fleet to follow him in the O and his red light cross. And you go, what? Red, red light cross? What the hell is he talking about? All right, whatever. I'm just going to ignore it. Stay tuned. We're going to come back to it. So now we got Quattro inside the colony laser. More, more of those green GMs and some GM2s. Doesn't want the enemy to find out that they're planning to use the colony laser. So now I mentioned this our two recordings ago. He actually like is takes charge here of the operation and what's going on and starts to be the leader of the AUG in this operation. He goes back to get the mega bazooka launcher. This is the timing when the Mark II and the Methus are coming back. And here, uh, Char orders the Mark II to only make minimal repairs and then return to the front. So instead of Emma like volunteering, like, oh, no backpack, no big deal. I'll take the sled out, all this. Char's like, make minimal repairs and get your ass back out to fight. Not with those words, but that sort of feels like yeah. what he, it's go and do he, your thing. He rides the mega bazooka launcher out. Mm-hmm. That's well, yep. <laughs> it's a it's a mega bazooka launcher sled now. <laughs> yep. So now what happens is you've got the thing with the mega bazooka launcher hitting the Gaza seas, but they had said something before about how they wanted to test the colony laser. And so you then have Shar saying he was trying to fire the mega bazooka launcher at the same time as the colony laser test. I was like, ah, just why didn't you just keep it the same? I don't Whatever. Okay. Then you have another new scene of the O and it has a red cross light on the top of its head. (laughs) It's the Jesus O. Yeah. And Shirako's complaining that the Titans fleet got into um, the grips to line of fire. So then you got the stuff with mega bazooka launcher getting destroyed. Um, Stuff with Yazan and Rekua and versus Emma and Rekua dies and all of that stuff happens here. And Camille goes and retrieves Emma. Um, and Camille's got Emma's about to be dead body on the wrecked ship and they have their little scene. Um, and then you have Bright also noticing the red light from the O. <laughs> I think this is the last time they bring it up. But still, like, why? Uh, they just I mean, needed to, They needed to add something. <laughs> they tell you why here, though. I say why. Bright is going to explain to us it's visible light and it's not affected by Minovsky particles. And that's why he did that. Mm-hmm. Um, and because Bright can also see that in their positioning, he realizes the Titan's fleet has caught on to them, even if the colony laser is only at 
let's go ahead and fire it. Um, and then, yeah, okay, anyway. Um, when we get to the part where they're inside Grips 2, um, they've reanimated all of the tube things to look more futury and fancy than just like vacuum yeah. tubes. That means the whole battle is reanimated and it's nice. There's like one one little clip in there that's not reanimated. It was kind of weird, but but otherwise. Mm -hmm. yeah. I thought reanimating the whole thing was an interesting way to do it, but I really enjoyed the, the new animation. Yeah, it looked awesome. way nicer. I mean, yeah. it's like a really cool battle anyway. Yeah. So most of the rest of this for a while is just the same stuff as in episode 50. So all I'm going to do for a second, because I'm going long, is point out differences. When they are, when you have uh, the ship that, the, when they show the ship Camille and Emma are in, they've reanimated it to make it clear that that ship has floated inside of the colony laser. Mm -hmm. All right. Skipping ahead. When they're all on the way out after the theater scene, which is basically exactly the same old animation and everything. Um, before the laser fires, Camille uses a attack called beam confuse which he calls out by name. And that is how he deals with the Cubalase funnels. If you've played Super Robot Wars, you'll know the Zeta Gundam has that attack. Yay. <laughs> we're mixing we're mixing universes here. Well, to be fair, I just played V recently and it cites the content as being from not Mobile Suit Zeta Gundam, but Mobile Suit Zeta Gundam, a new translation. Fair enough. While also having content from Double Zeta. Fair enough. Yeah. All right. <laughs> hey, guess what? It doesn't count. So it's fine. all real. It's all real. I mean, well, I mean, hey, if that's all real, then Eva's are real. And it's Shinji all real. was their ally. And yeah, okay. <laughs> super Robot Wars canon now. <laughs> yes. Some people will, will cite it as reasons turn A doesn't work. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> uh, I say some people probably one guy on the internet did one day and I'm barely remembering it correctly it's not like a thing um, okay so when Camille engages Shirako in battle this time we cut directly to Haman versus Char and Haman does not have a random stop at the Guanban that she doesn't <laughs> have time for in the TV I, show I noticed that <laughs> mm-hmm they just go right to it. They're like, maybe we should fix this. And they do. You're saying it made sense. Yeah. <laughs> they, they just cut out that weird 15 second interaction. Yep. Um, there's a very minor difference when we're going into the space ghost part and Kotz is talking to Sarah's space ghost and says, turn around and look at what Camille is looking at. There's a new shot here where, you see just the O and it's like this black and white scene and the O is the only thing really in yeah. focus. And he says, Hey, there's nothing around the O because the person in there is all alone. Okay. Um, and look at all these crazy bitches that are, that are surrounding themselves around Camille. Obviously Camille's where you want to be. Yeah. And Kotz is like, but I'm dead. So I can be on the same plane as all these bitches. So who's really in charge of this harem? Huh? <laughs> that's not in there Ghost interesting yep so 
you now have we're at Camille and Shiraco's final battle. One thing I like that they do here is they show the Zeta disarm the O before it does the Wave Rider charge. If you'll remember in the show, the O is sitting there and Shirako's like, it won't respond. What's right. happening? Here they just have Camille kick his ass. So I like that better. Uh, so you get the Wave Rider charge. Shirako gets gored. Um, I mentioned this in our previous recording, but this is where you have the Zeta backing off and you get that awesome new animation of it transforming yeah. with the power pose. I did notice the back is gone at that point. Yeah. The backpack's totally gone, but it, it you know, um, and of course the major difference, well, I'll get to that. I'm going to skip ahead real quick here. They actually show the O taking the Jupitress out as it explodes. Yeah. And they make a few comments on that as well. Yeah. I don't think we actually see that in the TV show. So I don't think it even, hints at that in the tv show mm -mm, mm -mm. no so, but they, they very specifically say oh yeah the o blew up and took the jupiter's with it yep now the big save a scene or two yeah now the big major difference here is when you have fa being worried about camille camille's like oh i'm actually fine i'm just i was i was needing to replace my helmet yeah yeah so this is this is really where the show and the movie diverge right like all the other stuff you can like live with it as just like stylistic differences. But this is the point where it's like, okay, this is actually like different. Cause Camille's just like transform transforms back into the suit mode, switches his helmets and is like, yo, I'm good girl. What's up? So we just talked about how this doesn't count, but the way super robot wars jumps through this is that, Camille has stopped fighting and run off with Fa at some point, allowing stuff like, you know, like allowing judo to come in basically and double Zeta to happen the way it does. Um, but they, the excuse given is that Camille is like shaken by the experience regardless and just wanted to stop fighting. But he seems so cool after this part. Like it's not even, I, I know it's not yeah. even like, wow, that was fucked up. Uh, I hope this is over. It was, whew, all right, let's go. Let's do something else now. Let's. let's you know go. why he was okay? You know why he was okay? Because you didn't have to fucking deal with Jared in this movie. <sighs> I mean, he does deal with him, but all it is is killing him. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, he's like, he's like, he just shoots, he's like, he's done. He's just done. He's not Jareding around the whole movie. Yeah. Yeah, so um, after, after Camille... Uh, after that last scene with Camille, we get kind of a prologue to the movies. Um, ep epilogue is the epilogue. Or sorry, I'm yeah. It's, yeah, it's it's there is a brand new, basically like three to four minute epilogue. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So it starts off. You see, um, Frau and and the and two of the kids kind of watching the the battle i guess there's like some ships like filming the battle in space and they were watching it from some sort of like planetarium or something like that well they're uh, on earth and like kika and let's are like looking at the yeah. battle like through a telescope kind of thing oh were they watching it on a telescope i thought i got the, i thought they were watching it on a tv and they just happened to be in the, uh, that's a weird yeah that's weird yeah because like they're and they're at like some observatory right yeah 
I thought they were watching on a movie. They just happened to be there. I didn't like put two and two together with that because it would be really hard to like focus a camera on a space battle like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, because like Kika and Let's they're talking about how they can't see the lights from the battle anymore. And then so Frau goes out and mentions that to Amaro and he's just sitting yeah. on a bench with uh, Bell Torchica. They don't yeah. have any speaking lines. Yeah. Yeah. She just says, Oh, it's over. And then uh, the next scene, we see uh, Mirai driving. She's got uh, the kids in the car, uh, Nugget and Hathaway in the car. Um, and she, like, walks up to this person who's, like, bent over, like, doing some, like, gardening and says, hey, do you know where the nearby Federation base is? And the person, like, ignores her. And, like, she gets in her back in her car and drives away. What a spot for a cameo that wasn't taken. <laughs> right? I mean, I get I get it because this whole epilogue is hey, we could put the white base crew in the movie. Yeah. But uh like see if this was a manga by that one guy that's like doing 0083 rebellion and all that stuff, this would have been like Kouraki or something. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then the next scene we get is uh Sela chilling out by the sea. Um, with uh, Mr. Kai Shiden showing up and uh, being like, hey, I got to ask you about this dude named Quattro Vagina. I mean, Vagina. Yep. I and she doesn't, she doesn't, what's that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And she doesn't respond because her voice actress is no more. Um, uh, then we see. Uh, Haman apologizing and telling Maneva that they are going to leave the Earth sphere and uh, send Maneva to go get educated on Earth. Um, so and then this, she, go on. If I imagine that just this chunk is real, let me tell you why I like it. Because at the start of Double Zeta, there's a lot of Axis people that weren't there before. So I kind of like the idea that she had to run back and regroup and then get back again. Yeah. Um, I think they explain it in doubles eight in a different way, but I, I kind of like it also having a point where you say, Oh yeah, my neighbor, we're going to send you to earth to go and get schooling. I, I think that's a thing that really happens. This is also like double Zeta is a, a, a spoilers for double Zeta. There are a lot of fake Manevas. So this to me helps be like setting the stage for introducing all of the decoys. Mm. Um, so I like this part. Now the stuff that happens after this with Axis doesn't really square with everything else. So you got to yeah. just kind of only look at this little part. Yeah. Yep. And yeah, she's walking out and basically says they're going to go uh, join up with the rest of the Axis forces that are in space. Um. And then the Argama, we get a little scene where Bright's like pissed off and they're heading to go pick up um, the the Zeta and the Methus that are floating around in space. Um, and, you know, they're, uh, Camille and Fa have a different set of uh, hobbies now, and apparently it is uh, fucking in space suits. And Torres and Sayagusa give you uh, some fake dialogue. <laughs> yeah, um, thanks, Bright, if he wants to listen in. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and Bright's yeah, like, but... 
I, I think it's really funny though when Torres and Sayagusa are like making their lines because like the, they know people could listen in and they're like trying to protect the innocent or something, you know? <laughs> yeah. 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 So, so the, the show basically ends with um, Camille and Fa straddling each other in space and floating around and dry humping uh, in the vacuum of space. Well, I mean, this one was called, what was it? Like the love is the pulse of the stars or something like that. I mean, yeah, they had to throw something in there. Well, there was some pulsing going on. Love is the pulse of the stars. Indeed. Uh, then in the credits, as we're going out and we're going past all the stuff in the solar system and you get past Mars before you get to the asteroid belt, you see the Axis ships leaving, which that's the part that makes double Zeta impossible to happen. If Axis keeps good on what Amon said and they just leave that, yeah, yeah you you can't really have that happen and then have everything else happen unless they just get there and they go, Oh, you know, it's, Oh, that one guy. They just need to draw stuff. They had an animation budget. They needed to fill it. <laughs> yeah. So there's a plan for a model kit in there somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess overall the movies to me, um, I know they they do a lot of things. Um, they rehab Kotz's character a lot. Kotz is not as nearly terrible in the movies as he is in the show. Like I would argue, it's because you have so much less of him to have to he, deal with. But he's also like he only steals a suit once, and like when he's stealing that suit, it's because he needs to. Because they cut out all those episodes. I know, I know. I'm just saying, like, they make him a much more mature person. It I'm not. I'm saying movie cots, and this is why this movie is not canon. Movie cots is somewhat sympathetic. <laughs> the only real um, candidate is cots being terrible. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, like anything that tries to like uh, rehab cots is not real in my mind. Fair, yeah. <laughs> um. And then Fa, interestingly, only pilots towards the end of the third movie. She is not a pilot throughout the first two and a half movies, um, which I mean, it's not a big change, but it's a ch it's I mean, she does a lot in suits throughout the movie. And like, arguably, she does improve as a pilot. And in the movie, she's just like a decent pilot. There's generally speaking, just like a lot of things, interesting things that were left out throughout this whole thing. I mean, that's a good example of it. Like they still show her piloting, but they leave out all of her, like becoming a pilot. Yeah. Bits. Um, they left a lot of stuff out. Stuff like the Kilimanjaro thing. I actually really liked that part. And that was just not here at all. Yeah. And does, does Shar actually give his speech in the movie? I don't think he does. Does he? No. Yeah. No. So that I think is, I, I think that's the biggest leave out of the like, like plot point that gets left out. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's another thing that makes the, the movies not square with things that come later. Yeah. Um, is you don't have that speech to me. If you were to take these and make them their own, like micro continuity, if you will, you've got, yeah. In this world line, in this timeline, 
yeah, Camille was fine. Axis did leave. Maneva just goes to Earth and goes to school and has a happy life. Char's dead. The end. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. Like, it, it's kind of like a happier ending. It doesn't really build on Char's, like, Char being like a leader. It doesn't really do any of that stuff. It just shows, like, there's a fight and then everyone's kind of happy after that. Yeah. The other way that I have thought about it is what if this is like everything you see after the point Shirako gets gored is what's happening in Camille's mind. Oh, after Shirako brain fucks him. Yeah. Could be. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess to me the, the movies as a whole, I would say um, as compared to Zeta uh, and we could talk about our thoughts on, on like the show in, in a minute. Um, like the, the movie as a whole is much more of a series of action movies, right? Like they're, it's a, it's a story about a war that focuses on Camille and Char where without like all of the, um, like new type focus and all of like the, the political focus, it's very much focused on like these key battles of like maybe the history of like the first grips or Neo-Zeon war or whatever, you know, like that's what this movie is or this series of movies. Yeah. This is like the TV made for TV adaptation. That's like yeah. actually aired in the universal century uh, on, on broadcast television or something. Right. Anyway, leaves out details and it's like Descartes, that speech didn't happen. You didn't hear that. <laughs> you know, it- uh, and, and yeah, it's like white. <laughs> it's the story of the the American colonization of of the Americas. If you leave out like the Native Americans, <laughs> there weren't people here. We didn't wipe out half of an entire like <laughs> ethnic group. I mean, no, not all on purpose, but like actually more than half. But <sighs> what's a trail of tears? We only got the tears of time. <laughs> tears are just things that would get weighed down by Earth's gravity. Wow. We just turned the, these movies into Titans propaganda. <laughs> they're like, Our, that's how, that's, oh, you know, and that squares with the first movie where, uh, you know, uh, Rec was like, Emma, sit down and watch these tapes. They're like, see, the AU, they were just using propaganda to get people on their side. <laughs> All right, let's wrap up the TV show now. Let's do it. Um, all right. So I think I'm, I'm going to start out with like a, a broad take and then we can move into like more like deeper thematic stuff if you guys want. But I feel like Zeta is a, is a show that tried to start off being a, um, a, a slightly more modern take of Mobile Suit Gundam and ended up for uh, various reasons um probably like hey p- people are watching this and we're actually making money as opposed to the first series um so we get to make more but ended up being like kind of the launching pad to like the entire universal century whereas like the you you could say hey oh no the og is mobile suit gundam well mobile suit gundam wasn't really that popular at the time zeta 
was popular, right? And it launched, you know, Double Zeta, a movie, um, and then like all the spinoffs and all of the, you know, movies that we're still getting now. So arguably like the Zeta is the launching point of universal century as we know it today. Yeah, Zeta happens because after the mobile suit Gundam movies helped re like make more people aware of the story, which helped build on the popularity of Gunpla. Well, once they were out of Gunpla to sell, they started making mobile suit variations or MSV model kits. This is where you get shit sometimes really rad shit like the Zaku tank. <laughs> well, when you don't have any more Zaku tanks to sell and you don't have anything else from the original series to sell and your injection molding technology has not progressed enough to just make super crazy nicer versions, what do you do? Well, we need another series. And here we are, right? It's, mm -hmm. it's Zeta Gundam, and it is where it starts to feel like a franchise. Uh, I know we're going through it chronologically, so this is the, I don't know what show we have covered, but this is the second Gundam show, period. Yep. Yep. And, yes. Yeah. yeah, so, I mean, really, thematically, they they start off having to deal with, like, the end of, Mobile Suit Gundam and all the space magic stuff. And I think over time, they, they start, you know, with adding these new concepts like the cyber new types. Was there a cyber new type in the original series? I don't think there was, was there? No. No. Um, yeah, they so they add these concepts to make space magic even more space magic-y. Um, but cyber new types are a way of trying to also ground that. Right in something real where it's okay. Well, Hey, we're on the earth. We're going to see what kind of drugs we need to give people to simulate whatever natural thing is happening out in space. And it doesn't work. It never works. It kind of works <laughs> just with, it works with some uh, side effects. So I always wonder like, is is are these people and and this might actually be a good conversation like down the line like is the problem really like the process of turning people into cyber new types or is it like all the fucking brainwashing they do to everybody that becomes a cyber new type because like they never just like say hey i'm gonna make a cyber new type to make a cyber new type no they're like i'm gonna make a cyber new type and brainwash this person so that they want to kill all these people that we want them to kill you don't think that uh, Zoltan was a good cyber new type? I mean, I think I feel like you know he was functional. <laughs> I I don't know. I uh, yeah. <laughs> Zoltan. Wow. Even his name is stupid. <laughs> I knew it was something with a Z. Yeah, Zoltan Ekanon or something like that. Oh, just anyway. Right. So, yeah, I think Zeta is if you were to just pick a random assortment of roughly 50 episode mecha shows from the 70s, 80s and 90s. Just put several dozens of them out on a table. 
your Blu-rays or whatever, DVDs, probably tapes for most of them, if absolutely anything even still exists. And you're said you have to pick a couple of these to watch, maybe a top five. Like Zeta Gundam has to be up there as being one of the more watchable mecha series of a large swath of time uh, by our modern sensibilities of what we like to watch and consume and, and how we like to do so and the ways in which we like our stories paced and, and things like that. Not that this is a perfect show that has completely modern trappings, but mm -hmm. a lot of the stuff in that era, it is hard to watch. And there are times that Zeta is hard to like get through just because it's long, but it's not on the whole. Like, you know, yeah, maybe there's a few points in the middle where I'm sitting there like, Oh my God, why is it still going? You're like you don't get to that point by like the third episode, like you do on some of those old shows. Yeah. I mean, we, we jokingly watched um, some of the old Tamino shows for, for the April's fools episode um and uh yeah those those are tough and those weren't that far before zeta i i think they were like uh, like a year or two before zeta and they have a completely different feel the shows zeta, zeta is very see, seems very well thought out and, and at times like it's very clearly um not well thought out when you, you slow down and think about it um but overall like it it's got a solid plot it's got it's it's narrative is fun fun yeah i'll just go with that well, well you know i'll i can continue with that it's narrative is fundamentally strong it's overall plot is fundamentally well put together the, it's a really good arc like start to finish yeah. there's some like lulls but it's a really really good arc yeah, if you take it on a high level, some really good stuff. We've taken it on a very low level. I think somewhere in between that, you can actually see some of the points where it is more disjointed. The first quarter of the show, I think, is planned out really well. Somebody, before they put any animator to work ever, knew what was going to happen in roughly that first quarter to maybe like 20 episodes of the show. Well, and that's why I say I feel like that was where they were like, we're going to make a, right. a, a slightly uh, different but modern version of the original series. Yeah, yeah. And you're dealing with consequences of it. You keep running into characters from uh, Mobile Suit Gundam. By the end, by the last quarter of the show, other than Bright and Char, you don't have as, nearly as much of that. Uh, you know, you get Amuro in there uh, for that one arc just to remind you that things with four are like Lala, as if you didn't know that. But <laughs> anyhow, uh, it, it does help close the loop on that story a bit, I think. And it's, it's satisfying to watch. So I, I don't, I'm not bashing its inclusion, uh, but I think uh, one of the things though, that it can kind of look, we, that we can look towards with that though, is some of the flaws in the pacing and the planning, because for instance, the third movie, it covers roughly the last eight episodes and episode 33. Well, that was always disjointed. Whenever I rewatch it, episode 33 always surprises me because I'm like, oh, oh, yeah, that's here. Oh, yeah, because then we forget about it for a while, which in its defense, I think makes things feel maybe more lived in and realistic, right? 
like when when someone shows up as an interested party in a conflict it's not always very just conveniently cut and dry that this is right after you were done with another part so i think it adds to the realism but it does make things feel a little bit disjointed because then when axis shows back up again you're like oh yeah okay they showed up and then i went and did all this stuff on earth and then i come back and i'm still fighting the titans but now they're back again and it's it, it jumps around a bit right and it uh, I think if this show were made today, you would see a structure closer to the movies where access is introduced and then they don't leave the spotlight. Um, and I think that may be a bit of a planning thing too. And, and even as you look at the very tail end episodes, right? Like episode 48 is one of those, all that stuff with Rosamia where you go, how is this not planned to be a few ahead of this just to get that all wrapped up at once in a chunk. So there are points like that where I think the, the, scenario is a little bit off kilter and I, I don't know if it's because the actual writers move around we've speculated it's because tomino starts having to plan out and, and plot double zeta Who yeah knows, I, I would right? be interested um to know exactly like at at what episode uh of writing wise like what episode starts when tomino knew that they were going to get double zeta and uh and and Charge counterattack because well, I don't. I don't think that happens at the same time. I think when Double Zeta was, in, I'm, I don't have a source to cite, but what I recall is that Double Zeta was initially conceived, and Char's counterattack was not a thing that existed at that point. It was only into the production of Double Zeta that Char's counterattack was like became a thing. It had not been greenlit, so they were not planning to do it when they initially started on Double Zeta. Hmm. I don't know if it had been pitched. That's what I really don't know. I don't know if it was like in the back of the head. Oh, I'd like yeah. to do this and all that. The only guess, person that I, could that knows is Tamino, and if you asked him, he would probably troll you with the answer. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, just it would be interesting to be like, uh, this is where you know, this is where Double Zeta got greenlit. So obviously, like either people didn't die at this point that you think are imminently going to die um, or, you know, you know, like certain plot all things two happen. surviving characters. Well, I mean, but they also change things around. Maybe they were going to plan on, on killing Amaro or maybe, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like I, I would be interested, like if double Zeta happened and Char's counterattack didn't happen, like how would that plot play out? If, uh, double Zeta. If Double Zeta didn't get greenlit, how would Zeta play out? Like, and similar to like the original series. Like, I, I just, you know, the the. I would. I think it was just an interesting thought exercise more than anything to see. You know what I bet is uh, what, what, where, where did it lull? It was like episode twenty through like maybe thirty was really the big like drag of Zeta. I mean, for, for, you know, it is what it is. Like it wasn't really that bad, but it was, it was the drag of the series. I bet you that was around when he found out and they're like, we got to rework some shit. <laughs> yeah. so, like nothing really valuable happened in that period. I mean, stuff, stuff did, but you know, they were reworking some shit. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure there's like somebody out there that's like found out like an entire timeline of like here's when the money for Double Zeta was approved. Here's, <laughs> um, you know, I'm scrolling through who wrote, like on Wikipedia, you could just go to the list of the episodes and it tells you who wrote them. And I'm trying to see when Tamino actually stops writing, 
and so it starts to get a little bit sparse around the 20s so he did do 21 through 23 but then nothing else until uh 27 and then 31 and then uh that's all <laughs> He's, uh, he's I imagine not, he just like he gave not, somebody an outline yeah. and said, this is how you wrap it up. It's kind of like uh, with uh, Game of Thrones, where it was like they had all the books and, they, and then what George R.R. R. Martin sits down with, with the authors like, this is how I think the series is going to end. Have fun. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But then to his, uh, sorry, to his credit, that first quarter or so of the show where I said it feels like it was very planned out and whatnot, if you look at the writing credits, he is on there from episodes one through uh, 16 and then right back on 18 um, until early in the 20s. So I think that might be why, because those are very coherent because they actually had one person very like steering things. And then he's not it just going off writing credits. It would make it look like the dude wasn't as involved afterwards, but he was still the director. So we can't say he wasn't involved. Yeah, he was he was involved. But it was probably like his project management started like getting crazy. <laughs> um, all right, what else we want to talk about with with the show? Well, we've talked about annoying characters like Kotz. Who was your favorite character in Zeta? In the challenge mode here, you can't pick a character that was in Mobile Suit Gundam has to be someone introduced in zeta i'm going to go uh i'll start i'm gonna go with emma as my favorite character from start to finish mostly because i feel like she is more or less consistent throughout the entire series and how she acts and reacts and her motivations and all of that stuff um, and that would be followed by a, a very closely, very close second with uh, Bright. Bright was in the original you, series. Though. You, you failed the challenge mode. Yeah. Well, no, no. That's why I said like. Oh, it, I, see. I see. He would be my second favorite character in the series, but obviously, like. Okay. Okay. What about you, Luke? Does Quattro count? No, uh, I mean, <laughs> yes. I, honestly, I think I, I honestly I think uh, I, I really like Shiraco because he's just fucking ridiculous. <laughs> why, why wouldn't you like Yazan more than Shiraco at that point? Then I do like. You know what? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to retcon that answer. I do like Yazan only because he's got a turtle chest tattoo, a cute turtle chest tattoo. That's it. That's, that's the reason. Do you, do you like his shirtless scene in the movie? Yeah. Hell, hell yeah. He was like way more conservative in the movie. Like they, they didn't have him being as, as flamboyant in the movies. And then like, there's the scene where like, I was like actually writing. I was like, ah, Yazan isn't as flamboyant in the movies. And then like five seconds later, he's like walking around with his shirt off. I'm like, Take that back. <laughs> well, like it's it's just like I love the I love when they have just something stupid, ridiculous like that in there, where it's like totally serious. Like Shiraco is like this manipulative, like uh, like crazy, like like let me control all the women, and I'm I'm like a total creep. And then like he whips out the O, and it's like okay, come on, Shiraco, <laughs> man. <laughs> That's I mean it's the same for Yazan too. He's like he's like this like 
fucking maniacal bastard. And then he's just like, look, look at my little cute little turtle chest tattoo. <laughs> like Your it. turn, Scotty. So when I first watched this show, I have a confession here. When I was, I think, 19 or 20. So not all that detached in real age from the age of the character. Sarah was my favorite. <laughs> because I was still more or less a teenager. And I thought she was relatable. Like I thought... I mean, you know, I was in college then. I was having a little bit of a like you know, tough time figuring out who I was and all that. And I thought she was relatable. I thought it was a good character arc. Now that I watch it when I'm 35, I go, wow, you're a stupid kid. Which is probably what I would say to myself if I met them, you know, went back in time to when I had yeah. first watched this show. So, yeah, it, it works. So I think my, like, subjective favorite now is probably fa because she's just the grounded baseline um i also really like camille's arc way 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 more really like camille's arc to me improves on a rewatch almost every time um, really like camille's arc like but i just did there's so much of camille being kind of obnoxious i feel like the yeah. first half maybe um mm -hmm. it kind of ruins him for me a little bit not quite but a little bit he well, plays way better in the movies as like a character that kind of matures and becomes like more like dependable. And the series, like even in the late, in like the early forties uh, episodes, he's like still somewhat bipolar. Yeah, yeah. There's these bumps of inconsistency in the TV show that that stopped me from, you know, making him like a real favorite, but. I think if I had to go just pure objective analysis on this, not personal feelings, personal feelings, like I said, I think Fa would be my favorite now, but objective analysis of their character arc. And uh, like you talked about things like consistency and, and all of this, Jared, I think Jared has a, a this sneaky good story of Jared Mesa in, in Zeta Gundam. Uh, this is a guy that, consistently thinks he is doing the right thing and ends up getting obsessed with a goal that ends up being a violent one and pays a price for it. I, I swear he, he is the Dr. Claw of, of mobile suit Gundam. <laughs> That's another way to look at it. Yeah. <laughs> I'll uh, get you yet. Camille. <laughs> but I, I think somewhere, if it's not already been done, there is a, a long essay waiting to be written about why Jared's character arc is a wonderfully tragic story. I am not writing that. Uh, I would say with, with Jared, he is a cocky douchebag. Um, that thinks he's doing the right thing. Well, I don't even know if he thinks he's doing. No, I think he, he, he does. No, he really very much does. If you actually go back to pre-Zeta, um, it was based on, so it, our, the whole canon argument aside, if you actually take this as like real real talk, um, it talks, there's that game that came out, like the tabletop game that came out that was about Jared uh, and crew. And it basically, he thwarted a terrorist attack. And that's how he like got recognition to become one of the, the uh, Gundam Mark II test pilots. So it's really interesting. If you think about it from that perspective on up, like, he thinks he's the hero. Yeah. 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 So that's why when I was going to say, like, 
he's he, he's doing the thinks he's doing the right thing. I don't think he thinks he's doing the right thing as much as he thinks he, he's always right and whatever he is pointing himself towards is the right thing. And he's very passionate about that. I don't think he ever thinks he's actually the bad well, guy. I mean, think about it. He's a, he's a soldier in, in, in the military and he's following his leadership, which soldiers are taught to do. He believes that his he's on the right side and he believes that he's doing the heroic thing for his side of the war, which he, he's on that side because he believes it's the right thing. You know, I mean, it's, it's a thinking about it like, without factoring in the fact that he's kind of just a douche, like <laughs> take that out of it. And, and he's a guy who genuinely believes he's the hero of his own story. And, and he's, he's kind of not. Yeah. From our yeah. perspective. Well, he, yeah, like he's, a, he would view himself as patriotic. Sure. Um, where like, he's not, not everybody that joined the Titans was a complete prick. Uh, he would not view himself that way, of course, but he's not Mancha from 0083, who's just kind of a piece of shit all the way through. And then you see him in a Titans uniform at the very end, like montage. You're like, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, he's not that, uh, but his downfall and when he maybe is visibly not doing the right thing anymore, even though he thinks he is, is when he gets obsessed with beating Camille. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, he sees he sees Camille Camille as the villain of his story, which is kind of an interesting perspective. I would love to see someone recut, like take the movies, take the take the original show, recut it to make Jared the hero. Be an interesting, interesting perspective. He'd probably succeed in blowing up the uh, Guadan in whatever episode that is. I think it's after the stuff when right. Amon <laughs> attacks Jamatov and Jared goes on like a rampage. Like he would succeed. I think that's how you'd have to have that story go. Yeah. Um, all right. I'm going to next question. What are your guys' favorite suits from the series? I'll let uh, Luke pick that one up first because Scotty looks confused. Oh, man. I think there's so many good pieces of suits that feed into stuff later that I really, really like. One thing I really like, I, I like the Cubelet's funnels. I don't really like the Cubelet itself because I think it's kind of funky looking. Um, but I like the funnels um, aspect, if, that's, if I can be that specific. Um, if, I'm, if I just had to pick one suit that I just really loved... Um, that's like a main character suit, probably the Hyakushiki. I love that. Like the ridiculous gold. It just, it fits Char so well. You know, I was just looking up at, I mean, no one, no one can see this because it is in front of me and my camera is facing, well, this is audio only anyway, so it doesn't matter. I was, but I was looking up at my shelf of a lot of, with a lot of uh, Gumpla on it and I'm looking over at my Hyakushiki and I was like, that's probably it because that's the kit that I got because I just thought the robot was cool. I had none. That's the one I had built before I had even seen the show. Um, and I'm also looking at how there's a Fenix up there and an Akatsuki. And I'm like, maybe I just like the shiny gold ones. Um, yeah, I, I think it is the Hyakushiki, even though like in fiction, it doesn't do much other than just be Char's suit. Um, 
And even then in the important battles, it's outclassed as hell. It's just it's cool though. Looking. Yeah. It's just a cool suit. Yeah. Yeah. I think my mine is like a three-way tie um between and it, and it's actually it's a two-way tie. I'm gonna have to go either with the um the Dija, however you spell pronounce it. Uh, and the okay. Palace Athene, the new the new animated version of the Palace Athene. Though I, I have a thing because I think I mentioned this before. Like anything, if you have like a cool head spike, <laughs> like I, I like those for some reason. I, I don't know why, yeah. but they there's something about that. If if you've got like a lean suit with a nice cool helmet, then I'm I'm game. What like the Jagan or something like that. The Jenkins, the Jenkins, a nice suit too. Yeah, the Jenkins, cool as shit. Okay, <laughs> that's. Um, what, what was the one? My, my brain, my brain is farting from right now. But the one from um, uh, uh, 0080 that I really liked. That they haven't haven't. The Comfer. Yeah. Camphor, however. Camphor, yeah. Mm -hmm. That you know, it's it's got that other you know similar like samurai style helmet with a nice cool looking spike on the front. I, I just like that that style of suit a lot. Yeah, uh, that's an aesthetic like that. It's definitely an aesthetic. Uh, you know, the one I have to just call out again, though, is the Ashimar. Yeah, I I, I almost said the Ashimar, but yeah. I mean, I just love how wonderfully weird that one is. Zeta has a lot of weird suits. Some of them are high and then buy. Some of them show up and then you're like, wow, why do they keep using that one? Uh, but the Ashimar, it's one of those that it only shows up uh, twice, maybe three times. And it's just so dumb and wonderful. Well, that's what's like if, if you look at like the Ashimar, like, like regular version, it actually looks pretty cool. It has that head spike too. Um, but like the UFO version looks fucking dorky as hell. It's, it's the same thing. It transforms. I know. I know it's the same thing. I'm just okay, saying. You like, like Transformers, Scotty? Well, it, hmm. I don't know, do I? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. They actually had like a pretty good variety of suits in, in this in this one. Um double zeta suits are pretty cool too, once we get to there. Double zeta suits are cool. I like um they had a lot of good grunt suits, and as I've said many, many times, I really like grunt suits that aren't Gundams, which is funny to say on a Gundam podcast, but I really like the non-Gundam like bulk troops especially when people start customizing them i really like that i i know i've i've said this to you guys several times but i would kill for like a zaku 4 um kit right now because they've they've started like dropping like artwork of that over the past month or so month or two and it looked just looks so cool give it time i oh yeah i'm sure i'm sure yeah. they got other stuff to sell right now like a you know, got to sell our latest variant of the Freedom for the new statue, things like that. <laughs> Maybe they'll sell us a uh, a small version of the Walking Gundam that walks. Because you know, we have I have the uh, um, what is it the the uni the Unicorn Gundam that whatever you know the base version that lights up with the LEDs and everything, the MGEX. So next thing we'll get is an MGEX walking version. Hey, they got an Optimus Prime that can transform itself coming out and and move around and stuff. So. Let, let me guess the price on that. 
$250. (laughs) Oh, God. All right. $650. $700. Oh, my God. And it sold out in a day. I did not order one. I did not. I wasn't going to do that. Uh -uh. (laughs) Uh-uh. Your wife can only hit you so many times. <laughs> you know, all I did was I looked over at this Unicron that is gigantic and awesome and amazing. And I was like, this was like half of that. <laughs> but uh, does it transform on its own? I don't, but that's the, I see, I want to do it. <laughs> like That is kind of the point, I think. Yeah. And it makes the noise three times while it transforms itself, which if you watch the show, what should really be happening is it, it would make the noise one time. And since it can't accomplish it fast enough, it would just slow the noise down to take the entire time. That's yeah. exactly like when they, like when he gets hurt, it's just the same noise once, but it's slowed down. So, you know, he's like struggling. Michael um, Bay got something right. Yeah, I just don't have a noise. Just make it metal clicks and whirs and things. <laughs> yeah, that works a little bit better when you you want to be fancy. But uh, yeah. So what are what are some things that we should keep in mind going into Double Zeta? Do you guys think? All right. Imagine you are Sunrise. You've had this show made called Zeta Gundam because you have these model kits you want to sell to kids and you want to make more of them. And the show comes out and let's be honest, it's kind of depressing (laughs) and it's not a show that, you know, I'm just thinking of my childhood and the way TV shows worked. How many kids actually would have seen every episode of this show as it aired? I would imagine very few kids have a lot of things going on in their brains. But if one did and watched the whole thing, I don't, I don't know if I'd want to watch, keep watching Gundam if I was eight years old, right? <laughs> like, I was like, oh, man, that, that was kind of a bummer. Uh, so I think the important thing to keep in mind with Double Zeta is that the studio has some influence, especially on the first part. And we're very much wanting something that children could enjoy and would make them want to go and get model kits. So I think the first parts of Double Zeta, which a lot of adult fans uh, aren't super into, I think if you keep that in mind, it's really not that bad. Yeah, and I think, I mean, the first few episodes of Double Zeta are harder to get through for for our purposes. They remind me um, more of like Saturday morning cartoons in a lot of ways. Um, but look, if, if, if you dig in for the long haul, they're worth it. And the show pays off in a way, in some ways that double that, that Zeta didn't pay off in, right? Like double Zeta is, I would probably say the most underrated universal century show out there. I, one note about that, that I had, um, that I was going to kind of speak on is, uh, when I first started looking into like re like watching through the Universal Century, um, I had watched 0079. It was great. Started watching Zeta Gundam. It was dark. And then everything that I was reading was, oh, uh, Zeta Gundam is like the pinnacle of Gundam. It's the absolute best of Gundam. Um, and then Double Zeta just it's, it fucking sucks. 
And everything that I was reading, that was like perpetuated. And I think after having watched it, they watched a couple of episodes right after Zeta. Like exactly what you're saying. They watched a couple of episodes right after Zeta. They're like, this isn't this isn't like Zeta. And they stopped watching. And they're like, this is terrible. Um, and, and that gets perpetuated a lot. If you go look up anybody who's not like focused on Gundam specifically, you, they're gonna they're gonna probably say that Double Zeta sucks. Well, and where a lot of that came from was the show was very inaccessible for a long time. Uh, it was not officially released in the United States until 2015. That's pretty recent. No, oh, yeah, it's a pretty old show. And I think what you had happen was that anyone that really did want to watch it would have to go through effort. We'll just put it that way to find it and be able to view it. And then they would put in this effort and watch a few episodes and go, I don't want to put in the effort for the other 44 or <laughs> what have you. Yeah. Because, wow, this is totally different. And I don't know, man, I don't think so. And I really honestly think that is where a lot of that uh, perpetuating comes from is that experience and not enough people having yeah, that. that that speak your, you know, speak English at that, at those points had seen it all the way through to contest that is just the inaccessibility. It's a hell of a thing, what it'll do. Yeah, I agree with that. And another note about moving into double Zeta from here. And that is um, speaking to the model kit thing, uh, the designs of the mobile suits from 0079 where they were really basic to, to Zeta where they were fancy uh, to double Zeta, they're getting real beefcake and chonk double Zeta. And like, let's add more shit to these. Let's add more shit. Cause it's yeah. more parts. It's more parts. Uh, they can well, not, out. not only that, like the, I mean, I think there's been interviews with the di different like mobile suit designers and like they slowly get larger and larger throughout the universal century to the point that like, like when you get the model, I mean, we, we talked about this, like with the, with the gun plus, like when you get the model kits that are to, to scale, like the Nightingale and, and Hathaway's flash is, or not the Nightingale. I think, what am I thinking of? The Nightingales and the Torchicus children. Um, if you're talking about Hathaway's flash, you're talking about like the Penelope or the uh, sea. Yeah, yeah, the Penelope, the red one that we we're talking about, right? That's the Nightingale. Oh, oh, but the Nightingale's based, or the Penelope's based off of the Nightingale, right? Um, no, Penelope. I mean, it might be like in the tree, but the reason the Penelope looks so chonk is it has the Minofsky flight system. But there is a like more normal Gundam okay. inside of all that chonk. But but yeah, so like my, my point is basically like these suits get gradually larger throughout the series. Uh, I mean, you see, I mean, and if you get the, the kits, since they're built to scale, the well, kits get gradually larger too. <laughs> and I wasn't even talking about necessarily like overall like scale size, but specifically the chonk factor is what oh, I'm yeah. going to call it. They get fatter and they get more like there's more just like pieces hanging off of them and more like wings and pokey bits and shit like that hanging off. And then if you look at that and contrast that to like um, the new gun, going from like the double Zeta Gundam to the new Gundam, the new Gundam is a cool ass, like say what you will about the story, but then the new Gundam is a cool ass suit. 
it's a lot leaner and a lot of the grunt suits are a lot leaner and a lot of the villain suits are a lot leaner. Um, and they kind of, it looks like they kind of like took a step back. Maybe they brought in old designers. Maybe they just wanted to look at like leaning stuff out because it was getting super chunk. Maybe plastic got expensive to produce. I don't know, but it's a really interesting jump from uh, Zeta to double Zeta back to Char's counterattack in terms of suit design. And then, yeah. and then you follow that up with, uh, unicorn and end up with shit like the kshatriya which is like the quibble on like crack well it's it's funny you mentioned plastic cost because um you can actually look at like the the heights of things because you mentioned the chunk but size wise in char's counterattack they're still getting bigger um but then the, the bubble economy pops and you have f91 and oh shit we got to make these model kits a lot smaller and, but we want to keep the same scale. And so then they're like in fiction, like, well, they got too big and they had to cut back because energy <laughs> usage. Hey, yeah. Mm-hmm. Hey, but the F91 is a, is a pretty looking suit. Oh yeah. But if you get it to scale, say next to the new Gundam, mm-hmm. it's like half the size. Yeah. So, yeah. Anywho, all right, we're uh, we're digressing and, and going a bit long in the tooth here, but good stuff. You guys got anything else? Well, well, thank you for uh, following along with us for way too many parts for this Zeta series. I mean, I, th- I actually think we handled the, the parts uh, appropriately if you are going to go episode by episode. So uh, I, I hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, we are going to take a one month break and then we will be back, uh, I guess in six weeks with Z- double Zeta, uh, or the summer episode. We haven't figured out what we're doing yet, but we're going to delay the release. Or yeah, are we we're just, gonna... this is our, our season break. Ah, okay. We're taking a season break with the rest of the pandemic guys. Secret. We, we did a lot of these recordings in a short period of time. So it's a nice break. Yeah. We're we're gonna be less stressed out when we start recording double zeta. double <laughs> zeta. Uh. All right. So thanks for listening. We will check you again very soon for our season three, uh, where we start with uh mobile suit gundam double zeta. Until then, uh feel free to reach out to us on New Type Flashpod and uh feel free to comment on our uh, Mobile Suit Gundam subreddit post and tell tell us what you liked, what you didn't like, and uh, how quickly you want us to come back. It'll be a month. Bye. (laughs) Season three, Triple Zeta. Woo! Maybe maybe the production costs will go up and uh, we'll add an intro song. (laughs) I was... Maybe. No shit. When we cut off air, I was going to suggest that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks. See you next season.